Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they will be seen by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And, and so we have this very simple teaching on prayer. It's very straightforward and uh, simple. I mean, it's like, it's like, this doesn't need, Steve, you can't spend a half hour on this one. <laughs> so the prayer, the prayer I just prayed and the way I prayed it, who was that prayer for? It sure wasn't for God. <laughs> I don't think it was to God. But by definition, prayer is talking to God, right? If you're going to define prayer, you can have a lot of definitions of prayer, and some sound more holy and righteous than others, and others more simple. I like simple because I feel I am a simple person. But by definition, prayer is talking to God, and He is your intended audience. And none of us, none of, when I say none of us, I mean none of us. Right? I think I feel pretty safe saying this. None of us is as bad as the example I just gave. But Jesus was talking about something real that was going on in their, their society. And to a lesser extent, I think it still goes on to us. Uh, none of us is as bad as the example I gave, praise God. But I want to say when people are also listening to our prayers it is difficult to focus on God in your prayers. Uh, and our purpose can become confused. Why am I praying? And our desire is to have meaningful prayer. So today's message is, it will explore praying to impress people uh, and praying to speak to God. And hopefully we can find some balance that will help us to have sincere, healthy prayer lives. Okay. So first I want to talk about reaching your audience. Who is your audience? And if you are praying to impress people, right? That's what we see in the first verse. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they will be seen by people. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. And the first thing to know is that people were, Jesus, Jesus was addressing a real-life situation that was really happening in that day. Because when I say that today, when was the last time you saw someone stand out on a street corner and try to get everybody's attention and then pray? You know, it doesn't, no, nah, it's not really happening. Uh, and if it is, it's probably a street evangelist, and he's probably actually trying to do something good. Uh, but, but that was really happening in his time. What, I, what was just described was there. People namely the Pharisees, were praying in the most conspicuous ways that they could. Uh, one book I read described them as ostentatiously meek. <laughs> I want everybody to notice just how humble I am. <laughs> right? that's, that, that's what they're doing. So Alfred Edersheim here. Uh, Alfred Edersheim uh, was a Jewish convert to Christianity in the mid-1800s, somewhere in the 1840s, between 1841 and 1846, uh, he, he became a Christian. And he wrote, he wrote I have a two-volume set of his, book, his books, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And that is his most noted work. This is, this is another book he had written a little bit before that. He wrote this one in... Uh, um, uh, he, he, I should say, he wrote that book. He wrote The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah in 1883. This one was written in 1876. It's called Sketches of Jewish Social Life uh, by Alfred Edersheim. And so be, he was trained as a Jew, 
uh, as, a, as a religious Jew, and then he became a Christian. And as such, he had insights into Jewish ways and thinking that most of us don't have. Uh, and and uh, that is revealed in some of the things that he writes in here. And, and so he reads, I, I've got an excerpt I want to read from here. It's, it's kind of longish, it's not super long, but... He says, there could be no difficulty in recognizing such an one, a Pharisee. Walking behind him, the chances were he would soon halt and say his prescribed prayers. If the fixed time for them had come, he would stop short in the middle of the street, perhaps say one section of them, move on again, say another part, and so on, till whatever else might be doubted, there could be no question of the conspicuousness of his devotions in the marketplaces or corners or streets. There he would stand, as taught by traditional law, would draw his feet well together, compose his body in clothes, and bend so low that every vertebrae on his back would stand out separate, or at least till the skin over his heart would fall into folds. And I thought about trying to demonstrate that, but I'm not sure I could without hurting myself, uh, so I'm not going to. Uh, the workman would drop his tools, the burden bearer his load. If a man had already one foot in the stirrup, he would withdraw it. The hour had come, and nothing could be suffered to interrupt or disturb him. The very salutation of a king, it was said, must remain unreturned. Nay, the twisting of a serpent around one's heel must remain unheeded. Nor was it merely the prescribed daily seasons of prayer which so claimed his devotions. On entering a village, and again on leaving it, he must say one or two benedictions. The same in passing through a fortress, in encountering any danger, in meeting with anything new, strange, beautiful, or unexpected. And the longer he prayed, the better. In the view of the rabbis, this had a twofold advantage. For much prayer is sure to be heard, and in prolific prayer, pro prolific prayer prolongeth life. At the same time, each prayer, as each prayer is expressed and closed with the benediction of the divine name, there would be special religious merit attaching to mere number, and a hundred benedictions said in one day was a measure of great piety. <laughs> and you go, oh my goodness, what is with these people? The funny thing about all this, by the way, is that God never prescribed any of this. Right? He, he didn't prescribe any of those things they were doing. Another really interesting thing about that is that I was we, at the missions committee to, this week. Uh, Lori Anderson was sharing on some friends of hers who are in a Muslim-dominated culture, and she said they're, the way these people pray is so annoying and in the way that that they will come along. And and you know we, we've heard of the the call to prayer from the minarets, and, and when they do, the people do these things. Apparently, I didn't know this. Apparently, those, those calls to prayer are random. They can come at unexpected times. And so these people would walk around with their prayer mats thrown over their shoulders, and, and they would uh, be walking down the street, and the prayer to, call to prayer would come, and they'd flop down the mat and get down there, and it didn't matter if they were in your way. It didn't matter if you had to, to, to you know, go, you know, do whatever to get around it, and they would do their prayers, and it was just, not only were they, I mean, they, you could say they were faithful, uh, but they were annoying, they were, they were a pain in the rear, you know, for, for everybody else, and, and, and I'm going, really, this kind of thing really happens, and that was actually before I read this, and I go, wow, that is really interesting, we have this, this legalistic, imp, 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 imposed uh, form of prayer that, that uh, has a great show of faithfulness, I guess, and yet what is it actually worth? It's annoying, it's inconsiderate, and it's burdensome to others, uh, but you could say they're just being faithful? The question I have is then, who, who are they being faithful to? To whom, if I'm going to be Englishly right? Uh, because God never asked for all that. 
God never asked for us to walk around with prayer mats or prayer shawls and, you know, put them on. And by the way, the, this thing that I just did, the, that, 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 they wouldn't have done that on the road. They do that in the morning and in the evening uh, when they do their opening prayers of the day and their closing prayers of the day. And, and they're like, anyways, so it wasn't quite that bad. But anyway, but, but who asked for all that? Who made up all these rules and all these rituals and all these steps? And the answer is they did. Right? Over time, they developed these elaborate steps and phrases and all that kind of thing. So, so some probably, and here's, here's how that works. Some probably sincere people started coming up with ideas to work out their religious duties, and things went bad. Right? Someone said, you know what? We should do something to show more dedication to God. We should do something to show our devotion more clearly. And, and you know what happens is your personal conviction starts to become a public expectation, right? I knew a man, Anton Netland, fantastic godly man. We would meet at a prayer, for prayer in his house, and he would turn to his couch, and he would pray like this. And when Anton did it, it was powerful. It was like just being with Anton was, was awesome. It was, it was, but I never did it. Because if I did it, I would be copying Anton. <laughs> and it, it, it's like maybe eventually it would have turned into a sincerity for me, but it, it didn't feel sincere. It, so I sat there feeling ungodly, praying like this. <laughs> well, Anton was over there praying like that, and, and I, I envied him, but I can't be him, right? I have to be me. Before, before, when I go before God, I have to be me. When you go before God, you have to be you. Now, you know, there's other people like that. Right? And when they do it, I, I, I appreciate that they do it. I'm glad they do it. It's like some of you raise your hands when we're singing. And, and I don't raise my hands when I'm singing. <laughs> you know what? If, if raising hands is part of your praising God, that's an awesome thing. But don't place that expectation on me because for me it's like, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to do this and so I'm going to do this because I want to meet people's expectations, right? It's easy to see how, how one person's uh, conviction can become a commitment on other people and that's what happened, that's what I believe happened here is that over time these, these people's uh, personal convictions developed into a corporate expectation and it became a legal requirement that God never asked for. And at some point someone should have said, but look here in the, in the scrolls, look here in, in, in the scriptures that we have. It doesn't say to do all this. And someone should have said, you know, they, they, of course they didn't have Paul because Paul said, you know, uh, be Romans 14, he talks about listening to your own convictions, and so you can read that, that for yourself. Uh, it's, it's not hard to see how this could have started innocently. It could have started out of someone's desire to serve God and be faithful to him and developed into something that someone else didn't have. We need to remember what is actually scriptural and what we do in our attempt to live out that scripture, right? Because they are two different things, right? And so we have, we have our our brothers who say, we have to meet on Saturdays, man. If it's not Saturday, we're not faithful. And we can say, we can say well, you're wrong because of this, 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 and didn't you read this passage, and don't you understand this, and, and, and why are you making these mistakes? Or we can say, you know, God bless you. You meet on Saturday. We meet on Sunday. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we don't need to impose our standard on them. Now, I can, I, can, I can tell you all sorts of reasons why I think they're wrong. 
Uh, it's not my purpose to do that. But, but we want to recognize the point that we hold what we hold based on what Scripture says. At the same time, recognizing that we do things in certain ways because that's how we do them. For instance, today is the third Sunday in November. On the third Sunday in November, we have our annual business meeting and potluck. And heaven help us if we don't, because this is what we do. It's part of how we live out our faith, right? Uh, we have church membership. It's nowhere in the Bible spelled out, you shalt, thou shalt have church membership. But we do it because it's how we see most effectively to live out our faith in a corporate way. You know, we elect officers the way we do. It's the most effective way we see. And there are other churches that do it different ways. I can't believe they don't all do it our way. What's the matter with these people, right? Uh, we want to recognize that our attempt to live out our faith may not look exactly like someone else's attempt to live out their faith. A, a rule of thumb you want to have, our message must never change, but our method may change. Right? Method may change, message won't. How many of you are old enough to remember none of this? <laughs> Piano and an organ, those are the things God ordained, right? Everything else is just fluff. <laughs> Anybody know when the organ was invented, the pipe organ? Not that long ago. <laughs> not, not in the term of, of the great scheme of things. David certainly didn't have one, right? They, the piano was invented... Uh, I'm going to go in the, in the mid-1800s, 1800, but the, you know, like the 1500s or 1600s or something. In the greater, so you can say a long time ago, but in the greater scheme of things, they're, they're relatively new. At some point... Somebody said, what are they bringing, bringing that, doing bringing that newfangled pipe organ into the church? <laughs> this is offensive. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it um, my point, method changes. Method changes according to what is effective. Method changes according to what is appealing. But the message does not change. The message has been, will be, is, and always will be. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? The message is always what we find in Scripture. That does not change. Method changes. And so these guys, uh, you know, God did not ask them to do what they did, but they took it as rule. They must do it the way they did. And so back to the, qu the question, faithful to whom? God did not ask them to do that. They were not being faithful to him. They were being faithful to themselves. And now to bring this all around, because we go, people don't do this today. Well, not exactly. But have you ever seen somebody reading a prayer that they wrote out? I had to read that one I did today because I knew I wasn't going to be able to wing that. Uh, but, but I've seen people read written prayers. Now, is it bad to read a written prayer? Not necessarily. You know, you can pray psalms. You can read psalms and pray them. Those are written prayers, some of them anyway. Uh, and, and, and you can read them and pray them. And you can write out your own and pray. But at the same time, most people I ever see reading written prayers are so full of flowery language and, and, and uh, elaborate vocabulary that I go, nobody speaks like this. Uh, shouldn't your prayer be speech? I mean, your normal speech, uh, at least normal-ish. I used to love some of you, some of you many of you don't have no idea who Gordon Bonzer is. Gordon Bonzer's been dead for 15 years, maybe, maybe more. Uh, I met Gordon. We used to have a prayer meeting in his house when I first, first came to Davenport. So we're going back a few years. Uh, and uh, Gordon was an old... Gordon grew up where the river is now, right? Before the dam was put in, 
right? He, he grew up down there. He, used to, he said he used to herd cattle across the river. <laughs> and, and, and when Gordon prayed, he prayed like an old cowboy. Dear God, I hope that you'll do this. <laughs> and I loved Gordon's prayers. They were so simple and real. And so much more uh, rewarding than the, loud, the, the elaborate vocabulary and all, all those impressive things. Uh, it's, it's, uh, Gordon's prayers were, were, were fun. They were good. Uh, but people sometimes pray in a way, even today, that's designed to impress other people. Sometimes they do it intentionally. Uh, sometimes they do it in other ways. So let me give you some things that might help you recognize if maybe even you do this. For instance, do you pray more when people are around than you do when they're not? You go, well, that, some of you are going, well, why would anybody ever do that? But no, if, if the only time you pray is when you're in public and called on to pray, right? If, for instance... If you were an elder and you came up and you prayed these things here, but you never prayed these things anywhere else, or you pray more on Sunday morning when you're praying these things than you do in private, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. Now, now many of us are not elders and don't have that problem all on us. But if you pray more at, don't pray more at home in private uh, than you pray at public in church, what does that make you? What does it make you if you pray more when you're in public settings or uh, religious settings than you do at home? Jesus used the word hypocrite. It means an actor, someone who pretends to be what he's not. And that's what he is taking aim at, is, is if we, someone who pretends to be what he not, he's not when he prays. Prayer cannot be, you cannot pray as someone who you're not and have it really be prayer. Because prayer is you talking to God, and if you're, not, if you're pretending not to be you, then you're not talking to God. You, you, it's not you, and it's not God. It's, it's an empty waste of breath and vocabulary. And, and so Jesus uses the word hypocrite, and their audience was people, and their reward was that people saw them. That was all the reward they were going to get. Funny reward. I didn't do that. <laughs> it, it's a funny kind of reward. But, you know, it, it actually makes sense. Because when you talk about Pharisees, Pharisees were such a small percentage of the population compared to, to everybody. You go, how could they find satisfaction in that? The same way, if I can call somebody out, Jehovah's Witnesses have satisfaction being kicked off your porch. Because they get to go and brag to their friends. Uh, uh, brag is probably the wrong word. They get to go and let their friends know that they were kicked off three porches today in Jesus' name because they view that as Jesus' name, and congratulations, you were persecuted for Christ. And they weren't persecuted for Christ, but they get to, to say that. And so it's a kind of a pride in being disliked for the sake of their religion, right? We may have times when we are disliked for the sake of our religion, and, and we, yeah, frankly, at that point, if I can save, take it with pride, do so, because it's like I don't want you to get proud of your faith, but, but it's, it's, sometimes it's a good thing. Right, uh, but in their case, it wasn't. But for their within their clique, it was a badge of honor to be kicked off the porch, and, and that's similar to what's going on here. But he contrasts that in verse six with praying to God. But as for you, 
right? So Jesus is sitting there. Remember, this is all part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is all part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's on the mountain, and he's pre- or the hill, <laughs> and he's, he's, he's pre- t- t- speaking to these people. He says, he says, but as for you, right? You just see him look over, you know? Making eye contact, going through, looking at people. As for you, when you pray, do this, right? Uh, go into your inner room. Close your door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he says, the, 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 what's the solution? Simple, pray in private. If you pray in private that no, and nobody knows you're doing it, then you should not be able to be distracted by people. <laughs> I mean, maybe it can still happen. I don't know. But if, if you go into your inner room and close the door, people aren't there, but God is. And he hears your prayer. Don't announce it. Don't put it at a time of day when people want to reach you. By the way, I can almost guarantee that if you set aside a time of day, all of a sudden people will start trying to reach you at that time of day. Because <laughs> that's just the way it works. We have an enemy and he can nudge things. Uh, so... But try to avoid that. But God will hear. And it's got a lot of advantages. First of all, it's quiet. And you can think. Because no one else can hear you, you're not concerned about what other people think. It removes such a burden. And God hears you. And your prayer time is a blessing to you as well as other people. And and he says you'll have your reward. God will be pleased with you. But, But that leaves a problem, right? Should be an obvious problem. Then do we get rid of prayer altogether? for public prayer? Do we stop praying in church? (laughs) Do we get rid of our prayer time? Do we stop sharing our prayers with each other? And the answer, you go, well, that can't be right either, right? So let's see if we can find some balance with that, some examples that will help us to see that. Let's start with Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in Babylon. Daniel chapter 6 is the most famous story of Daniel. This is Daniel in the lion's den, right? and, and the story of Daniel in the lion's den is, you know, we, we know the lions, and sometimes we forget that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he prayed where people could see him. Okay, shame on Daniel. He shouldn't have been praying where people should see him. He should have been in a closet. <laughs> right? Do you say that? No, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, this is the prayer that he prayed. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, now, when Daniel learned that the document was signed, the document saying, you can't pray to anybody but to the king, Right? When Daniel learned that the document was signed, he entered his home, and in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his de- knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before his God, just as he had been doing previously. Right? He continued doing exactly what he had been doing before that rule was made. So, so he, prayed, he continued praying in a visible way. Was he showing off? First of all, he wasn't ostentatiously meek. He wasn't doing this. He wasn't getting down in the street and obstructing traffic to pray, right? He was not blocking people off or anything like that. He was up in his room. He went into his room, and it was an upstairs room. I picture an upstairs bedroom just because that's what works in my mind. It says an upstairs chamber. Uh, Don't know exactly what this upstairs chamber was, but it wasn't ground floor. It was upstairs, Right, uh, And more than that, he's actually doing exactly what the Bible describes. So I had us flip back to Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to flip back a, a little bit more to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6, Solomon is in, in the process of dedicating the temple. And he is praying to God about the temple. And he says these words in verses 36 through 39. 
when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and turn them over to an enemy so that they take them away captive to a land far off or near. Where is Daniel? He's in Babylon. Why is he in Babylon? Because they angered God and some people came and took him captive to a land far off. In other words, when you are in exactly the situation that Daniel is in, right? Uh, when you sin, they sin against you. People sin against God, for there is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and turn them over to an enemy so that they take them away captive to a land far or near. If they take it to heart in the land where they are taken captive and repent and plead to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, and have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity where they have been taken captive and pray toward their land which you have given to their fathers and the city which you have chosen and toward the house which I have built for your name. In other words, Daniel, if you will pray toward Jerusalem where the temple used to be because now it's been destroyed uh, and you pray to God then that way, then hear, then God, because you know, he's speaking to God, then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and pleadings, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. So Daniel is doing absolutely exactly what God prescribed in exactly the situation for which God prescribed it. You go, wow, Daniel, you're pretty cool. Yeah, Daniel's awesome. And you know, he's, he's one of the guys, when I get to heaven, I want his autograph. You know, it's like, I don't know, you know, if we'll have autograph books in heaven, they'll probably be really big. Uh, but I'd love to get Daniel's. So Daniel prayed in a way that was visible to others. And yet, he wasn't doing it for the sake of impressing others. He was doing it for the sake of being faithful to God. And because he had been doing that, what it would it have been, what it would it have meant had he said, oh, he issued a decree not to, now I'm going to change the way I pray. Either to stop praying or to hide when I pray. What would he have been saying by that? See, Daniel was, was not going to compromise. And so he is the good guy for continuing to pray in a public, not a public way because he's not out there, like I said, he's not annoying people, he's not imposing on people. He's in his own upstairs room for crying out loud. But if you wanted to look, you could see that he was doing it. And he was not going to stop that because people saw. So what is that how does that work in the light of Matthew 6? We're going to a room, shut the door, don't let anybody see you. And so we can start to develop a principle. And the principle is the real issue is not whether the prayer is public or private, but whether the audience is God or man. And if the audience is man, then fix that by going into a private room where man can't hear you and pray there. Daniel didn't have to. God was already his audience. Didn't matter if men were there or not. So let's go from Daniel. There's one guy... Better than Daniel. His name is Jesus. <laughs> right? Uh, I love Jesus and his prayer life. Some, some things we can learn from Jesus' prayer life. So, so first in Mark chapter 1. When I say I love Jesus' prayer life, it's like I also am a little bit convicted because I don't have Jesus' prayer life. Right? Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38. It's way early in the Gospel of Mark, but Jesus is already getting popular, right? He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's doing miracles. People like to be around him. It's an exciting thing right now. And we read this. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so I can preach there, for that's why I've come. 
Everybody's looking for you. And he says, can we go somewhere else? <laughs> I don't, he didn't say because I don't like everyone. <laughs> so Jesus got up early in the morning and left. And, and implied is this, is that no one else was up yet. Right? Otherwise they would have known where he went. Or at least had an idea. Hey, have you seen Jesus? Yeah, he went off early in the morning. Which way did he go? He went off that way. Okay, I'm going to go look for him. Right? Uh, they, they wanted him, but Jesus wanted something else. So do you have any doubt that this time early in the morning was precious to Jesus? And the answer is that you should not have any doubt at all that this early morning time was precious to him because he snuck off to have it. And if it's, if it's legitimate to say Jesus snuck off, I don't think it sounds, sounds like Jesus was being sneaky. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I might be able to get blasted for that. But, but uh, it, was, it was important to Jesus to have private time with God. Not just public time with God, but private time with God. And, and so we get another lesson, kind of a secondary lesson. First of all, Jesus' day was busy, right? Early in the morning, people are already looking for him. They're making demands on his... Why are they looking for him? Well, this is the guy who last night was healing people. This is the guy who last night was doing all these great things and saying all these things, and we want to find him. I want to take him to go see my, my aunt, or I want to go take him to see my cousin. I want him to go see, take, take him to go see my son. And, and people are already making demands on his time. And he's, his day is busy, so if he wants to have prayer, he has to not find time, he has to make time. You hear the difference between those two words, right? Because if you look at your day and you say, I want to find time, well, you know, the funny thing is, is you already do something with all of your day, right? If you cannot find time to pray in your day, then you won't be able to find time. You have to make time, and you can. It, it can be done. We find that Jesus, when Jesus needed time with God, he either got up earlier or stayed up later than the others. You know, he would send the disciples away across the, across the, the sea. Don't worry, guys, it's going to be a storm, but I'll get you in the middle of it. <laughs> okay, he didn't tell them what he was going to do, but, but uh, he sent them away so he could be alone. Right? Uh, he found, he, he, he made time, he found time. If you can't find time to pray, make time to pray. Spend time in prayer. Now, I want to move to another Jesus prayer. This one in the book of John, chapter 11. This is at Lazarus' tomb. And if you look at Jesus' prayer at Lazarus' tomb, this is really interesting. Because he spends more time telling us why he's praying than actually praying. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting. John, chapter 11. Uh, Verses 41 and 42. And I'll, I'll go 43 also. Uh, so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So his actual prayer is, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> the rest of it is telling, telling God in front of the people that I'm praying to you, Father, so that these people can hear the prayer and know that it's you who's doing this. So that they can hear this prayer and know that you sent me, God. That's why I'm praying this prayer. Here's the prayer. Lazarus, come out. 
<laughs> which is really interesting when we take that, okay, Jesus, defend yourself, because you're the guy who said go in a closet and pray. <laughs> you said go in a closet and pray, and here you are out in front of everybody praying about how you're praying in front of everybody. And, and is Jesus violating his own principle? No, because first of all, he's praying to God. But we find that there's another type of prayer. There can be such a thing as a teaching prayer, a prayer that is prayed to teach people something. And, and, and Jesus is teaching some things here. He's teaching about faith and faithfulness and about himself and who he is so that these people will see and recognize who he is. And, and there's a way of praying that can give glory to God. Uh, I'll give you an illustration. We have, in the Bible, in James chapter 5, we read, Is anyone sick? Let him call the elders. And they will pray for him and anoint him with oil, and the sick person will be healed. Okay? Now, we do this because <laughs> the Bible says to. Some people say, well, no, no, when it says oil, it really means medicine. Some people say, no, when it says oil, it means the Holy Spirit. And we go, uh, I'm not smart enough to answer that question, so we anoint with oil and pray. Now, I want to tell you something. The Bible says the person will be healed. And it's tied to confession of sins. And so I think it's saying, if this is a sickness brought on by sin, it will be healed. But I could be wrong on that. Either way, we don't take the chance. We do it. Now, I want to tell you something. There is a ton of pressure on you when someone says, uh, will you pray for me? Will you call the elders and pray for me and anoint me with oil? And you go in there and you pray for that person for healing. Because the Bible says they will be healed. And here, here's, here's the prayer you pray if you're not careful. And you think you're being careful. Dear God, if it is your will, please heal this person. But we know that it might not be your will. So, Father, if you choose not to heal this person, we know that you have some greater purpose and design and plan that will work itself out in the end. Amen. And you've just given God permission to not answer your prayer. You've explained to the person you're praying for why they might not receive what they've got instead of asking for what you need. And it is, it is, I will speak for myself, it can be a terrifying thing to pray for healing for somebody in that situation. Because what is going through your mind? Oh no, what if God does not heal this person? Because my experience, I'll, I'll give you an honest, honest assessment. My experience with anointing people with oil and praying for healing is it works sometimes. I can think of two specific instances where God healed the person. Sometimes it was where someone was going to have a surgery and the person came through the surgery fine and that kind of a thing. But I can also think of instances where God, we, we didn't see that God actually did anything. And so what do you do with that? And I, I think of one specific instance where we had a, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband and a sick child. And I was terrified because what if God does not heal this child? And God did not. But somehow, God used that situation to bring that father to Christ. <laughs> and I'm going, wow, God, you're so awesome. The child didn't die. I mean, but, um, because life is sometimes more complicated than that. Um, that but, but that is, I believe, that is a type of prayer where you, you, you pray in front of people for the sake of teaching them God or putting God on display. And, and, and we are sometimes to pray those prayers as well. We are to pray those prayers. 
Jesus prayed for the sake of people, right? Remember I talked about praying for people and praying for God? For people's sake or for God's sake? Well, Jesus at this point, he's praying for people's sake. But not to impress them with himself, but to impress them with God. And there is a difference in that. But be careful if you want to impress people with God that you're doing it faithfully and not uh, presumptuously. Not, you're, you're trying to gain glory for God and not gain glory for yourself. And if you're like me, you're a feeble, weak person <laughs> who is easily led into temptation, especially ego. Okay. But that's our, our, our next lesson in this is... Uh, there are sakes, you can pray to impress people with God, and that's legitimate. And I want to go to one last prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, if you have a red-letter Bible, you look and you go, whoa, the whole John 17 is red, aside from the first half of the sentence. <laughs> right? Jesus spoke these things, and raising his eyes to heaven, he said, and the rest of John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prayed in front of his disciples. And the interesting thing is he's praying for, to God for the disciples. He's, he's with the disciples. The only people there are the disciples. Jesus is there only with the disciples, and he prays to God for the disciples in front of the disciples. Okay? That's a little unnerving. He wants them to know exactly what he's praying for them. Jesus is commissioning them. He is telling them what to expect in this world and in the thing that they are called to and letting them know that God is with them in the midst of it all. And he is commissioning them, and it is important that they hear this prayer. It is, it is, it is, not, it is a set of instructions, and it is prayer, and it is not just instructions, and it is not just prayer, but it is both of them wrapped up together. Right? We commission missionaries. We commission pastors. Uh, what do we do? We pray for them that God will use them. And we do this publicly. We do this with a laying on of hands. We do all those kinds of things. This is what we do. You, you still, by the way, pray for them in private. If you commission the missionary and send them off and then never pray for them again, there go that hypocrite actor word comes up again, <laughs> right? Uh, so you pray for them in private too. But, but the commissioning, that, that whole event, is, is a prayer and it's a public prayer. So public prayer is not evil. But using public prayer to impress people is. <laughs> and and, and, and there, that's where it gets difficult. Uh, so do you want to be sure your motives are pure? Go pray in private, okay, where no one can hear you but God. And, and the way to ensure or the way to help your prayer when you must pray in public to be sincere is to spend more time in private prayer than you ever do in public prayer. Protect yourself. Pray in private. Whether you ever pray in public or not, right? Pray in private. And your Heavenly Father will hear you, and he will reward you. And I'll rent out my prayer shawl. So <laughs> These both, by the way, were gifts from uh, Beth Ellis uh, when her husband Lance died, and she wanted a pastor to give them to, so I'm very grateful for those. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this message. I thank you for the reminder of prayer. And Father, as we can be wrongly tempted in our prayers to, to glorify ourselves, 
to want to impress people. Father, I just ask for that ability to focus on you, to pray to you, to seek your will and your blessing and your action with sincerity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.